0: Today's psalm is um, psalm 124 and I'm reading from NLT. So it says, "What if the Lord has not been on our side? Let it, let all Israel repeat. What if the Lord has not been on our side when people attack us? They have or they would have been swallowed or they would have swallowed us alive in the in their burning anger and the water would have engulfed us. A torrent would have been, overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives." Praise the Lord, who did not let the teeth uh, let the teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from the hunter's trap. The trap is broken, and we are free. Our help is from the Lord, who made who made heaven and earth. All right. Thank you so much. Well, before we get going, there's a couple of updates that I want to be able to give to our family, and if you know people who aren't here that would appreciate being able to hear this, these sermons do go out on a podcast, and so they can listen to the first part of it, but there's a couple things that as we move, start moving towards the fall, we just want to invite you to not only pray with us, but also to join us in a couple of things. One is uh, our family ministry, like just with the way summer has gone and even just coming off of the spring. Um, we haven't had as many kids. We also lowered the age just simply because we don't have um, as much help with teaching the kids. And this is where I want to encourage you is I grew up, um, especially when I was in high school, I learned what it was like to teach kids, to be able to instruct them. It was one of the most uh, shaping things within my life. And it actually helped me understand in some ways the Bible at a deeper level. And so I want to encourage you, um, be a part of, of moving into the fall, of constructing a couple of teams. We've got, we hope to have two age groups, two to five and five to eight year olds, that um, we can not just simply uh, give childcare to, but to be intentional in our discipleship. So we're hoping to have six teams is what we want to build towards. So be praying for that. Be asking if that's something you need to be a part of. Uh, another thing is building. Uh, a lot of people have been asking, when are we going to move from 4 p.m.? Or when are we. Uh, Going to be in our own space, and we 've been looking, and we 've been knocking on doors and we 've been talking to business people um, and i 've had friends who 've been reaching out texting like, "Hey, how about this building? This last week I had that happen. I went and looked at the building and it had a sold uh, little thing put across it. so again, please be praying with us because what we desire is not just to get into a new space so that we can do that just because that 's what churches do. We want to be mobilized. To spread the light of Jesus and the good news of the gospel further into our city, we want the building that will allow us to do that—not just to be comfortable, but to do what God has called us to do as a church. And then, uh, thirdly, just kind of a GC update. Our GCs, um, we—I mean, first of all, we believe here at Radiant not only that we gather as a church on Sunday, but we live the church out through our smaller groups. It's a place for us to to be known and to know others. And a lot of them have gone through the ringer and either the last couple of months, but even over the last year. Um, Things from deaths that have happened within GCs to many other things. And so what happens when you go through a lot of changes like that, when you go through a lot of struggles like that, it can often leave you feeling disconnected from the church. And so our hope in this next season is to be unified now more than ever as we walk through some of these difficult things. So please be praying over our GC leaders. Please be praying over our GCs, especially as we go through that. Um, So with that, we're going to jump into today's psalm. So we are going through a group of psalms. I mean, the psalm, the psalms is the largest collection of chapters in the Bible. It's the There's 150 chapters within it. We're looking at a group of 15 of them called the Song of Ascents. And Psalms are these poetic songs meant to engage us in a very unique way with God. In fact, it takes a lot of things like our emotions, our doubts, our angers, the depths of our heart, and it teaches us how to lay them out to God in prayer. That's what the Psalms do. So this particular group of psalms, they've got this subtitle called the Song of Ascent. It's like a music playlist, if you will, a group of songs intentionally put together to emphasize a, a theme. And that theme is, is a group of people moving from a desert place far from God, moving into his presence, moving in towards his peace. So we've been walking through this and one of the things that um, I did with this sermon series is I reached out to my older sister who's an artist and asked her to make art every single week um, as a way to not only just uh, for us to have some cool picture but hopefully enhance just the way we understand the psalm through another way. And one of the things that um, I did, and I want to thank Amanda Thomas for putting this together, all the Psalms we've done so far, including a few pictures she did in addition to the one she's already done, they're out on the table there. And what they are is the picture on one side, and then on the back is the full Psalm. And then it's also a postcard as well. So there's a couple things I want to encourage you. One is pick a favorite picture, if you will, and let that... Um, That psalm be what you meditate on and memorize in the next couple of weeks. The other thing is maybe you know someone who needs some encouragement. Someone who's maybe struggling with with despair, maybe someone who's going through a hard struggle, someone who needs encouragement. It can be someone in the city. Go grab a stamp, write a little note of encouragement, and send this to them. Like, let's let's get back, let's get old school with this. Like, don't text them. Send them the sweet picture and God's word to their mailbox. So, with that, we're going to jump in to Psalm 124. Have you ever watched a film that just captures your heart? Or maybe you read a speech, like I remember reading Henry V, and there happens to be an epic speech within that if you like Shakespeare. It was pretty awesome. But maybe you've watched a movie, maybe there's something that when you heard the words coming out of the screen or out of the speakers, it actually almost moved you to, like, get up off your seat. You're like, yes, that's it. Um, let me give you a few that you probably know. First of all, brave heart. I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom? I almost yelled that, but I decided not to. (laughs) There's the return of the king. My brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. Or maybe, if you want to go old school, Spartacus. We fought many battles and won great victories. Maybe there's no peace in this world. As long as we live, we must stay true to ourselves. I do know that we're brothers, and I know that we're free. We march tonight. In each of these cases, each of these films, in the settings of what's going on, it's a small band, a smaller army, an outmatched army that's going against a larger foe between them. In Spartacus, it's former slaves going against the Roman war machine. In Braveheart, you've got Scots that are fighting for freedom against the British. And in The Return of the King, you've got the forces of good facing an overwhelming, powerful army of evil that's threatening to overwhelm them what do these moments do? They take these, these groups of people that are about ready to get smashed, and not only does it unify them, but it mobilizes them. So not only does it grab these people who are like, hey, it doesn't matter what odds we're gonna face, we're gonna run forward but it also, that a feeling and effect when people come together unified is you wanna get up off your seat, you wanna lock arms together and you're gonna run forward to whatever is facing you in front of you. This is Psalm 124. And so we see this Psalm, a poetic song, but I wouldn't even be surprised if it was said either before or after a battle. And my encouragement is, is maybe right now Maybe right now, we walk through this psalm and it doesn't like completely revolutionize or change your heart, but maybe it gives you enough courage to prepare you for the next battle. And so my encouragement is, don't just listen to me Go to this word. Walk through this word with me. I want to invite you in this. It's so easy to come up here as a, as a pastor and believe this lie that somehow it's by my strength, my ability to get you up off your seat or change your heart or something, like I, that I could do that through my words and that's just simply a lie. The thing that's going to change your heart, the thing that's gonna get you mobile, the thing that's gonna unify us together is Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. So would you join me right now. Let's pray. God in heaven, um, Jesus, your words are eternal. God, would we, would we not underestimate them right now? Or maybe if, we're, if that's our heart coming in from the week that we don't really care too much to hear from your word. Would you just, would your Holy Spirit crack us open? Would you see just the magnificent, this well crafted psalm? Would it just seep into our bones? And would we leave here with just that spark within us to be unified as your churches? You have called us to be and to be mobilized by your power to go against anything that would come in our way because we know it's not us, but it's you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to look at two aspects to the psalm. One, that we'd be unified in God's rescuing power and that we'd be mobilized through God's rescuing power. So let's read Psalm 124. Um, We're just going to read verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Think about that for a minute. This is a Psalm of David, and we're not given the context of what it was. If you know anything about King David, he was a warrior, but he was also a songwriter at the same time, and you can see the warrior come out in this song. We don't know if this was maybe before a battle in which he was trying to remind his men of what the Lord had done previously. Or maybe it's after a victory and they're celebrating the fact that it was the Lord who brought them victory. Or maybe this was him reflecting on one of those moments. Maybe it wasn't even a current situation. He was reflecting on Israel's story and what God had done for a nation. Regardless of the case, just feel what David is trying to communicate when he says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. He's inviting the rest of the people to join him in saying this. If it had not been the Lord. He wants this seared into their minds and how he does it is he calls for a response. We only see this like twice in the Psalms. We're gonna see this kind of same repetition happen, this call for response happen in a couple of Psalms. We also see it in Psalm 118 as well. And what he's wanting is, is for the nation to be able to speak that truth if it had not been for the Lord. And then David continues with the speech. So let's read through verse five. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. See, Israel... Whether they were going against an enemy, whether they had gone before an enemy before, they know that anything that will keep them alive, it's going to be the Lord. The whole point behind this this lyricism within this is to build this picture. It's describing like a group of people, an army coming against them, but then it turns to maybe like a beast that is coming to devour them or this flood that's just going to sweep over them and drown them. Have you been in that place before? Can you relate to that where it feels like all of life is against you? And you know that if it weren't for circumstances being finely tuned one way or the other, you wouldn't make it out. You'd be swallowed alive. You'd be overrun. You would have a flood drown you. These metaphors come from a man who realized not only the, uh, that the odds were against him, but the limits of his own strength and planning. David understood the family of Israel was a tool in the Lord's hand. Without the Lord's direction, without the Lord's favor, without the Lord's strength, Israel would no longer exist. And that not only happened in present circumstances, but it was also their story. I mean, even just take David's story. Numerous times, David escaped danger himself. But even beyond that, Israel escaped from slavery. Israel escaped from being overcome and wiped out by various nations dozens of times. We've even seen that within the last century. Even when Israel deserved to be exiled, even when they deserved to be wiped out, the Lord rescued him. The reason this these lyrics are built this way and are so vibrant is because they aren't pleasantries. They aren't insincere praise. They aren't just someone who's been sitting in a church building their whole life and saying, man, you know what, these lyrics would sound really good. It's like, no, he actually lived it and Israel walked through it with him. These are people who have looked death and destruction in the eyes and came out on the other side. And so, as this people sing these lyrics, as David walks them through this, it calls them to unity. It reminds them that there is a power greater than them that they all need to be holding on to. So can we sing this psalm and mean it? Can we sing these words and make it more than just pleasantries and insincere praise? And this is what I want to encourage us as Radiant, as a group of believers who are tied together in unity through the blood of Christ, that we must unify around this call. We must unify around the power of God's rescuing power. The stakes are high. Our enemy that we face is described as a beast. 1 Peter 5 through 8, we read this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what are the teeth of this beast? What are the weapons that he's using against us? They are lies, and through lies, he breaks apart the unity of the church and leads each of us to sit in the squalor of death. Think about the power of lies and what it does. I, I'm gonna read this quote um, from John Mark Comer. It's a little long, but hang on in with me. The best definition I know of ideology is when you take a part of the truth and make it the whole. In doing so, you imprison your own mind and heart in lies that drive you to anger and anxiety, it promises freedom, but produces the opposite. It does not expand and liberate the soul, but shrinks and enslaves it. It's the growing man who is berated by his father and comes to believe I am only as good as I am successful at work. It's the teenage girl who, comparing herself to the mirage of Instagram, comes to believe I am ugly and unworthy of love. It's the woman who was a high-energy child, regularly scolded by her parents, who now believes I'm a bad person. It's the entrepreneur whose prior business failed after the betrayal of his partner and who now believes everything I do will fail. It's the middle-aged woman who was raised by an angry perfectionist mother and decades later still believes I have to be perfect to have peace why is this brought to the table because this is the power and destructions that lives will not only do in your life but they will separate and break apart the unity that god hopes us to have and i know that some within this church have been through the ringer you've battled health and the enemy wants to believe that you are useless you have battled addiction and the enemy wants you to believe you are hopelessly captured you have battled betrayal, and the enemy wants you to believe that you are better off alone and that real relationship is impossible. You have battled disappointment in trusted leaders, so he wants you to believe that you can't trust anyone. You have battled disillusionment with the church, so he wants you to believe that you can make the church on your own terms and not God's. You have battled death, and he wants you to believe that you will be crushed. This is is what the psalm is getting at. This is the overwhelming power of the enemy that's coming against us. For us today, it may not be a horde and an enemy in the flesh coming at us, but we are facing an enemy who is coming at us with lies. We need to recognize it's like a torrent. It's like a flood. It's like a beast coming after us. It's like an army. And we have to realize that we are hopelessly equipped to be able to fight the enemy on our own. But where is the hope? The hope is is that we're still here. The hope is that God is still God and we are not. We still have each other and more importantly, we have the rescuing power of Jesus that unifies us. But maybe you're sitting here today, you do not have faith in Jesus then you're at the mercy of the flood of life. You are at the mercy of the jaws of the beast, the hate of others, the lies that the enemy is using. And if you want to escape that from crushing you, you have to look to Jesus. Jesus is the way of escape. And how did he do that? It's because he took death head on and all the effects of death and sin in this world, all the darkness that happened, happened when he went to the cross. He came fully God, fully man, lived in our shoes, faced the flood, faced the beast, faced all of that, and he won at the cross. And it was shown through the fact that he rose again. And what he asks for you, for me, is that we take the broken pieces, that we take our hopelessness, that like a little bird in a net, we come to him and and scream out that we have nothing but him and we're putting it all in his hands. And he will provide a way of escape just like he provided a doorway of light out of that dark and empty tomb. So we must unify around God's rescue and power, but we also must be mobilized. Let's read the rest of the psalm. It says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We see a couple of movements that are happening within here. First of all, we see an action of blessing the Lord. We see an escape from the snare and a claim for the Lord's help. You see, they bless the Lord Because it's not only his saving power that unifies them, but it's also what mobilizes them. Have you ever thought about that term, bless the Lord? I felt weird about it because it's like, well, the Lord's way up there. What do I have to offer? What do I have to give to bless? And I, I like this quote from John Piper. He says, it means to speak well of his greatness and goodness and really mean it from the depths of your soul. So you may be in that place of wondering, who am I to be qualified to bless the Lord or to be able to do that? Well, if you have experienced that great and powerful saving work that God has, you have every means to be able to bless the Lord. You are qualified to bless the Lord. Secondly, we see an escape from the snare. The second part of the psalm describes the dramatic rescue David is speaking of God's greatness and his goodness and and the way his power to save has worked. I find it interesting, though, how this great and mighty warrior, David, whose songs were sung about his military prowess, likens his nation to a little bitty bird that is captured within a snare captured within a snare. He sees the impossibility of his ability to save anyone, to win any victories, and he needs the help of God to come in as a loving father and snip away the snare that has the bird by the foot. But let's just think about what happens when a bird is in a snare. Now, if you know anything about snares, and there's all sorts, and I'll tell you right now, I'm not an expert snarer, Someone who sets a snare, I don't even know what that is, (laughs) right? A trapper, there we go. Um, But I do know enough that usually the way you set up a snare is to be able to grab part of the animal and then when they exert force on it, you don't want them to escape. So usually when they're exerting more force, it holds them tighter. It's interesting, isn't it, how often we try to mobilize on our own. In our own power and our own strength, we try to hold back the torrent of life. We try to wrestle with the beasts in our life. We try to fight against armies on our own and it actually makes us even more helpless. You see, when an animal is exerting effort, they're becoming more and more trapped. And so the energy and effort that we put into life, outside of being connected to the Lord, Is useless and fruitless. Think about that. Think about the metaphor that's being here. While the animal is captive, their movement is useless. When they are free, they are able to be useful. And so then God redeems the energy and effort of the animal as it is released. And so we see this similar to Israel. In fact, even the battles that Israel faced, most of the time it had nothing to do with the physical battle itself. It was a question of whether they were actually gonna believe in the power of their Lord or not, if they were gonna believe a lie instead. And so they got it. In fact, if this was, if this playlist, the Song of Ascent, was made after Israel came out of exile, after they came out of being under a foreign nation and coming back into their country, they get it. They got what it meant when they tried on their own to live life on their own terms To do it on their own, it actually led to them being captive in the first place. And so they understood the only way for real freedom to happen wasn't even so much what nation they were under or if they were in their own. It was whether they were connected to the Lord or not. And so the last thing we see, this movement that's happening within this part, is they claim the help of the Lord. And what I love about this is they understand their position, and they understand the Lord's position, which is exactly what we talked about last week. They get comfortable on their knees. They cry out to the Lord who is enthroned in the heavens, if you look back in Psalm 123 in verse 1. Or you could go back to Psalm 121 when the author writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord enthroned in the galaxies. That's the one they have to look to. They are not ashamed to ask for help. They are fully aware of the odds and their need for the ultimate power and authority of the universe to be on their side if they have any hope for success. So, what about our mobility as a church now in the present day? Our mobility is how we move pursuing after God, it's our ability to fight the enemy on God's terms. And how do we move? It begins with us giving up trying to manage life on our own terms. In many ways, it begins with us stopping. Stopping our own personal struggle and getting comfortable on our knees before the Lord God who loves us. You see, in the speeches that we started this sermon off with, often the hope is in the strength of those fighting in the battle. And this is why this psalm trumps all of them. Because it puts us in the place that we really are. It takes the reality of life itself and it recognizes there's only one way out. There's only one way for victory and that's by the saving power of the Lord. And this is a struggle for us. For us here right now. For those living in Fairbanks, Alaska. Why? Because our culture we put a high premium on the energy we exert. We need to do something. We need to fight the battle, we have to be on our own. I was just talking to someone the other day and about, we were joking about um, how easy it is in Fairbanks to be like, all right, I got my house, I got my little bit of land. I'm gonna stay here, you stay over there and we'll just wave to each other. That's gonna be great. You know. Maybe occasionally we'll help each other out when we need it. But we put that premium on like, we don't ask for help, we do it on our own. And where does this come from? It's pride. It is pride. And here's the thing. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? The devil, he can't destroy you. But he will try to immobilize you. And he will try to do it through pride. Too easily do we view each other in the church through the lens of pride. Too easily do we view our broken world through pride. And it actually keeps us from being able to give any help to anyone Pride, it gets in the way of us moving, and it gets in the way of our unity together. Oftentimes, we can approach each other with our arms held like this. Either it's because we're judging, or we we think we can do it better, or so many other things, and our pride ends up leading us to spiritual lethargy. It's the greatest tool of the enemy. And one of the ways he does it is by getting you to think that he isn't really that powerful and because of that, you're not gonna think that you need Jesus and his saving power. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's this satire where he kind of writes as if a senior demon is talking down to his trainee, giving him tips on advice how to tempt people, how to tempt people within the church. And, he's, and this, this is a quote from that. It says, Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it is our business to soothe them yet faster asleep. Other ages, of which the present is one, are unbalanced and prone to faction, and it is our business to inflame them. So what do we do with that? How do we get mobile again? How do we break out of the snare of pride? How do we look to the Lord? It starts with humility. So this is... What is so fantastic, when you want to read a verse that you really love, make sure you read the context of it because we're going back to 1 Peter. Back to that verse that talks about Satan as this roaring lion seeking to someone devour. Back up to 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, So that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Again, imagine that bird just pulling at the snare, wrapped up in a net, trying to get free. The quickest way to get free usually is to stop. My dad's a, a pilot, I grew up with him, and I, I always remember you talk about stalls and different things like that, and usually the first thing that you do is just stop touching things, just stop doing it at first, because usually when you hit things or, or you, you don't take a moment to think about what you need to do, you actually make it worse and it can end up on you on the ground in an explosion. Similarly here, what is the first instruction? Humble yourselves. And this is so antithetical to our culture. I, I mean, I encourage you, like, take a moment even this week and to think through that everything is built up, centered on our pride, especially currently and where things are headed is this idea that you are the ultimate authority, you are the ultimate decider in your life, you get to decide who you are and what you need to be. And that keeps you from this place of being set free, of a place of humility. But what happens after humility If you keep reading, we have this verse, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, and it continues. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It starts with humility, but when we're humble, when we allow the maker of heaven and earth to release us from the snare, then we can be active and mobile, fighting against the powers of evil together. We must, as a church, make this our rallying cry. So that by the time we get to the end of this psalm and it says our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth again, that that's something that we mean at the depth of our soul. It's not just something nice that we say at church. We're not just coming on a Sunday to be comfortable, but we realize the stakes are high. We realize the enemy is fierce, but we recognize that the saving power of our Lord is so much greater so much greater. And his help isn't just from our past. It's help for the present. It's help for the future. Eugene Peterson, who wrote a beautiful, a beautiful devotional on this set of psalms, said this. We speak our words of praise in a word that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We claim the cross. We claim the power of Jesus in his resurrection. Because by the act of what he did on the cross, by the act of what he did through the resurrection, we are promised to be eternally set free. Jesus promised this to his disciples before he went up to the cross in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. That's a reality. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is why the greatest speech ever spoken or written was our battle commander, our leader, our savior hanging bloody on a cross? And then he said, It is finished. It is finished. And so we are claiming that today. We are claiming that in communion, that we celebrate every week because that is our hope in life and death is the fact that Jesus' blood was shed on that cross, that his body was broken. The church is by no means a weak influence about, on this world. It is the only hope that the world has because Jesus decided to use the church to spread his gospel. So let's move forward with that today. Let's move in the power of God's saving grace, let us be unified as a church in the power of his saving grace. Let's pray. God in heaven, would this just shake us down to, our, to the very depths of our soul? Jesus, there is no way for these words to, to impact my heart, to impact the heart of anyone here, unless it's by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would these words not leave us this week? God, I pray against distraction in my own life. I pray against stupid things that are on my phone or on sites like YouTube that just distract us and keep us from seeing you, Jesus, that keep us numb to the battle that we're fighting. God, would we believe in your saving power? Would we see it as the necessary means by which we can reach out to lost people in the city, means by which we can confront darkness, even the loss of life that happens because you are on our side. Jesus, we need you. You have brought Radiant here to, to Fairbanks for a reason, God, and we want to be the people who rise up and claim the name of the Lord. So God, as we sing, God, I just pray that even the words we sing together would just overflow. I pray when we leave here that the words of your scripture would overflow our hearts. I pray that when we move into this week and we face obstacles, no matter how horrible they are, no matter how big they are, we do it not alone but together with our church. And our church doesn't do it alone. We do it with your saving power. God, stir us. God, revive us. Revive our city. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We just want to encourage you. We've got two communion tables up here and a communion table in the back. Please run to the communion table. Run with repentance. Examine your heart, but also run with your praises and celebrate how God has set you free because those who claim Jesus are free indeed. Let's do it together, church.